Right now in Fast, the S&P posting its best close in two months ahead of earnings season, which kicks off tomorrow with the big banks. Will the financials keep the market surging ahead or grind this rally to a halt? Plus, no beef with Netflix right now. The stock's surging today and climbing over 17% in the past month. Will it be the designated survivor in the streaming landscape? Should you be a hoarder of this name? And it's a lot of fun. And later from... AI helping you with your homework to now chat GPT investing your money. We'll hear from a University of Florida professor who says AI could be useful for picking stocks. We'll put it to the test. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami all in the house. We start off with a big countdown to big bank earnings. J.P. Morgan City, Wells Fargo kicking things off tomorrow morning with Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and the regionals all out in the next few days. Investors focus on just how deeply the banking crisis has impacted these names. Analysts now looking for earnings for the group to grow about 4% in Q1, according to Refinitiv. That is down from the nearly 7% growth expected at the start of the year. Bank stocks rallying today ahead of the reports, posting better gains than the broader markets, though they are still near their lows of the year. Can tomorrow's results help these stocks pull out of this rut? And of course, the backdrop, massive rally today. In the, in the broader market, yeah. which is incredible. I mean, as I say all the time, I don't need help looking stupid, but the market seems to do it for me each night. And today was one of those days. But, you know, J.P. Morgan trading 129. You have no real meaningful bounce over the last month and a half, two months. So it actually lines up where you should see a relief rally. That's something that Dan talks about. But for the life of me, I can't believe that any of these money center or major banks would say anything all that constructive to get them off the mat in a meaningful way. So couple percent rally off the lows, maybe, but I think the dialogue and the rhetoric and some of the guidance that they see, especially in light of Jamie Dimon's recent letter, can't be all that good. Maybe no news is good news. Maybe, maybe the consumer trudging along, maybe everything going as planned, despite what happened in, in banks over the past month or so, maybe that's actually a good thing. That's enough of a catalyst. Well, valuation is, is not yet, but at some point becomes enough of a catalyst, too. I mean, if you look at, you know, 1.1 times... Uh, Price to tangible book on 24, about 7.7 times. These are, you know, those are you know, 20 and 30 percent cheap on a relative basis to where these things have traded on a five to 10 year basis. It, but there's no question banks are not going to get away from you on re-rating. I mean, how, how is it you're going to see with a regulatory overhang, with a credit, you know, we still don't know what's going on. Credit trends have actually normalized a bit. So they've been it's been pretty positive. But um, to me, uh, as much as I want to say, and as someone that owns J.P. Morgan and owns Bank of America and owns Citibank, and I think there are people uh, in the analyst community that actually even say that Wells Fargo is worth a worth a look here. Um, I, I think it's going to be tough sledding. They've priced a lot of bad news in. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. Karen? So I don't think it'll be that newsy because of the Silicon Valley situation, actually. I do think we'll see a lot of things that happened during the quarter. I think they were losing deposits going into the quarter, which they sort of manufactured that. They had too many deposits. They offered rates that they knew would send some money fleeing, and then they got in a deluge of deposits from fear. And and the loan-to-deposit ratio, which, which has been declining over years, probably went down a lot. In this new environment, it's hard to think about putting out new money for loans when you think about, all right, how flighty are these deposits, right? So you need that sort of match there. And I think, though, credit quality has been very good. I don't think we're really going to see an uptick there. And it's going to be more of the usual. You and I talked about this before the show about what do they see in the economy? What do they see in the consumer? What, you know, maybe they'll get questions about commercial lending, which, you know, I know J.P. Morgan, for example, doesn't have a particularly big book of commercial lending. But um, 
To me, I, I have moved more of my Bank of America into J.P. Morgan. I want to be in the biggest, the best, the safest. And, you know, it's 10-ish times earnings, three-plus yield. I'm hanging out. You know, the problem is it doesn't look like there's too many places across the financials in general to hide right now. If you look at just kind of, and we've talked a little about, um, you know, some of the life insurance, it looks like a bomb went off there, right? If you look at just some of the brokers, we, we talked about Schwab a lot. It looks like a bomb went off there. Bank America acts so much worse than, let's say, JP, to your point. Um, so when I think about, you know, some of the news that's already discounted in, there's a lot of bad news, right? We've talked about the regional banks. They can't get out of their own way here. You know, it's interesting because, you know, Jamie Dimon, their, their annual letter last week, there was a lot of commentary that came out of that, that may take some of the sting out of whatever, you know, like if you were going to look at something, you know, glass half, you know, empty, you know, that takes a little sting out of it. They, I don't know if you guys saw this Wells Fargo headline, their head of consumer, the CEO of the consumer and small business um, just announced that she's leaving. That's today. This is the day before they're going to announce their result tomorrow. So there's ways to kind of piece out information that make it not as bad when it comes out. I think, you know, JP has not really gotten out of its way. Um, Wells has had a bit of a rally here. Schwab has not really rallied. The KRE can't get out. So, like, to me, I think if you do have a relief rally, given the lack of visibility that we have about these companies and their own businesses, and then when you think about what's going on with the economy and the volatility around rates and really what we feel about investment banking in general, and then are we on the eve of a credit cycle? I just don't find them that compelling. So if they were to rally, I think if you're long, it probably gives you the opportunity to take some money off the table. And me as a trader, I would be looking to reshort these things. And you know, I was short them. I had a good trade on. I stayed around too long. I did not want to press that short. I've been saying that for a couple of weeks here, but I would look for an opportunity to put them out on any rally. Well, I agree with you on Wells Fargo. I sold Wells Fargo to get into Morgan Stanley, which is a very different business, right? Investment banking and asset management. And all the money center banks probably are not going to have very good investment banking numbers, right? We've right. talked about what a dearth of deals there are. But that's a lumpy thing, and I think that will improve. So Morgan Stanley is where I wanted to be instead of Wells, but uh, we'll see tomorrow. I own banks. I'll say this about the market and what the implications for banks should be. I mean, the market's trading. Like, we got Fed minutes yesterday, said mild recession. We've seen PPI and CPI this week that have been great. We've got retail sales tomorrow, which also are going to be another read. But the, the, the labor numbers, the payroll numbers, while they're softening, we still have a very tight job market, a consumer that has a job. So, you know, the market that's rallying right now in a market, it, it was a huge day in the markets. And it was a risk-on day. It was, it was a day of breadth. And, and that's the part of this that doesn't reconcile with banks. And we've seen this at different times. I mean, banks have not been able to outperform yeah. uh, the market. And, and take a look at the KRE. They won't. The, the KRE trading at levels Disaster. close to the lowest levels during the, the crisis, the recent crisis. They haven't gotten off that low. No. What's going There's on? There's been I mean, no bounce whatsoever. Story. Listen, Sheila Bear came on this show, or I think it was earlier this week, right? She, she suggested something else is probably going to. Warren Buffett in Tokyo with Becky Quick this week said the same thing. So it's not just us talking about this. And the KRE is trading the way. The XLF is a flawed ETF. Sorry about Berkshire. that. It's a right. flawed ETF. It's Berkshire Hathaway. It's JP Morgan. It's MasterCard and Visa. That's, I think, almost 40% of it. So say what you want. The XLE, if you look at it, it's telling you something, something again is going to happen here. All right. Well, deposit losses may not be the biggest issue facing banks. One of the investors known for successfully betting against housing before the 2008 implosion sees bigger trouble ahead for financial. Financials. Danny Moses of the Big Short fame joins us now. He is the founder of Moses Ventures. Danny, always great to have you with us. Great, great to be on an update. You have no position in banks right now. I do right? not. Okay. Nope. So what are you looking for? What are you what are you curious about, particularly when the regionals report? I think we're going to see a shift from the Fed obsession uh, to really what's going on in the economy. I would rather hear what 
Jamie Dimon has to say than Jerome Powell or any dot plot, because I think you get a real-time look at what's going on. And I think we're going to start to trade on fundamentals and not whether the Fed is done. Fed at this point has 25 basis points left in it, maybe. You're now seeing rate cuts being priced in in September. And my concern is if that actually happens, that means the S&P earnings are only going to drift lower from here and the market may be overvalued. So every bank tells you something different. Some have commercial real estate exposure. Some have been getting hit on the deposit shifts within the banks themselves. And I'm not so worried about a flight of deposits overall at these banks. I'm really concerned about what the impact of those change of deposits does to the net interest income and their margins. Right. What do they have to do to stabilize the deposits? I mean, that's a costly venture. I mean, when you see a small regional bank offering close to 5% to keep money there, I mean, that's going to catch up with that bank. For sure. What they need is loan growth. And unfortunately, I think we've kind of seen the peak in that. So if you don't have anyone to lend to and your margins are going to get hit, you really can't grow. And so it becomes an ROE story, which on an equity story for these banks. And that's historically how they've traded. And I'll note that these banks are not overly expensive, but they're definitely not overly cheap yet. And so same thing I was on here a month ago. I didn't have a position. I don't have a position now. To me, it's about the story that is telling for the economy. Danny, how about though ROE doesn't really reflect, uh, we're all talking about earnings dynamics. And I would make an argument that the net interest margin uh, pain is something that we didn't give banks a lot of credit for on the way up. The big issue, and I'm guessing, and this is your background, is credit. Um, and banks were trading at a discount to the market and at a discount to themselves before we even knew about SVB. So, so how do you assess that here? And, and, and where do you think investors, what do you need to wait for? What do you want to see before you can determine that credit is either not as bad as you thought or maybe it's worse? Right. So the, the credit comes in different shapes here, right? It's credit, obviously, you're lending out to your clients, your customers, it's corporate credit and so forth. So we're going to get a pretty good glimpse from Wells Fargo, obviously in the auto loan book, and we'll see things like that. We're going to get corporate credit, C&I loans. We're going to get a piece of that. And I think what is lost on people is, yes, last year was a stock picker's market, right? And I think there's also a bond picker's market. And when I say bond picking, it's credit. And the ability of these companies that they lend to to get refinanced, right, is going to change. And so a lot of orphan companies out there, in my opinion, that were able to get credit from these banks. And these banks have to now make decisions because cost of capital is going higher and where they lend. And my fear is taking that credit and trying to figure out what does that mean to the economy as far as contraction might be. So mm-hmm. how do you think about the ripple effects of this banking turmoil? And have you put any positions on as a result of it, whether it be and it's it may not be in the banking sector, it may not even be commercial real estate, but even tangentially, were there trades that you put on because of what has happened? Uh, not necessarily. I probably got a little bit more bearish. You know, I, 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 think it, I think in general, like I said, I think the Fed's been somewhat of a sideshow as far as what's going to happen here. And so I think, I think that all the deposits are safe. And I think that's kind of, if there was a Fed put for years, there's now a Treasury put or Yellen put, whatever, that if something else happens to another bank, we're going to be okay. And that's given the green light to people that it's okay to own banks. And what Dan, the point that Dan just made earlier about people want to feel safe owning things, you see in the NASDAQ, top three or four holdings amass the majority of inflows that come in. I think we see that in the bank and safety in numbers. I don't agree with the valuations per se, but I am watching it. And to your point, Melissa, there are auto lenders out there that are publicly traded that you can watch and garner a lot of information from these large banks on that may not get the access and the credit lines they need to keep growing. So I'm short the HYG, which, um, you know, is just a bet on credit end rates, but the credit part. Although I'm wondering, is there a scenario where there's not enough new high yield bonds created Right. that makes them scarce and therefore more valuable. That's a great point. So the passive ETFs for fixed income have always driven me crazy because I just mentioned before, I think we're going to have more of a bond pickers market going forward. 
but passive ETFs and fixed income have basically changed that dynamic. People feel, people feel diversified. If you look within the breakup of the HYG itself and what's in there, you can see energy companies, consumer goods companies, and that's what I like to look at individually. I realize for most people it's hard to trade those individual bonds, but listen, with rates coming in and the Fed being done, I don't know how much juice you'll get on the short side in those, but to me it's an indication, and I know Tim has talked about this before, about credit spreads in general, and if credit spreads widen, I use the HYG as a tool to tell me how everything else is gonna kind of trade, so. Danny, good to see you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Danny Moses, Moses Ventures. Are you rethinking that short? I am. I've just been thinking about the you know dearth of deals mm -hmm. and uh, if there, are there are there not enough bonds. Although I love the idea of the shorts, so I got to come up with a different way. Maybe it's individual names. But. Credit's a place you got to. I mean, HYG has been. Well, it's probably seventy-five and a half now. Yeah. It doesn't trade. Karen will tell you that. But when it trades, it trades in a meaningful way. But it's been basically trading around the bottom here-ish for quite some time. I do think there's going to be a credit event. And the Fed basically told you, they said, we understand that what just happened, we're probably going to see a mild recession. For them to even say that is interesting. The adjective before it I don't think makes a difference. But they acknowledge that that could happen, and they're still going forward with raising rates. So they do this, again, something broke in terms of Silicon Valley Bank. There are other things out there going to break. I think credit's next. It's an interesting time to be throwing credit back out there on the short side because we've seen a 60-bip tightening in high-yield spreads in the last three weeks. So there's really been this, um, we went from the horror show to eh, things aren't that bad. Um, I just, you know, I think about the HYG and do you find that you're really matching beta though? In other words, if you're using that as a short to, to, to you know, try to express a world where credit's gone bad, um, that thing doesn't really move. Uh, I mean, it all depends on how you lever it, how you put it on, if you have it on in options. But what I've always noticed about the HYG, yeah, I mean, high yield can trade down and high yield can trade down 10%. Um, it can trade down 20%. Um, but it probably isn't going to match the move in equities if we really have the credit blow up that, that I think you might be trying to express. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. I, yeah, this, I, I, I see what you're saying. It's a very valid point. I really have to think about it. Although it doesn't move, doesn't move that much either way. It doesn't, yeah. Right. But if I really want to be turbocharged to that bet, probably got to change it. All right. The Fed releasing its latest balance sheet data in the last hour. Steve Leesman's got the details. Steve. Hey, Melissa, yeah, indicators of stress in the banking system that you can cull from the Fed's balance sheet continue to improve, but they remain elevated compared to where they were before the failures of Silicon Valley and Signature Banks in early March. The Fed's balance sheet came in at $88.58 trillion. That's down $17 billion since last week. It's the third straight weekly decline, but it remains $272 billion above the level before the banking turmoil. Part of that, of course, a big chunk of that is the Fed's financing the failed banks that are run now by the FDIC. Fed borrowing at the discount, bank borrowing at the discount window fell by $2.1 billion. And borrowing at the Fed's new bank lending facility, the one that will finance your paper at par, it was $71.8 billion. That's down $7.2 billion from last week. So the combination of the two, that's the most direct signal of banks' need for extra liquidity. The combined $9 billion decline, again, the third in a row. But the $139 billion that they are borrowing, well, that's $139 billion more than they were borrowing before the banking turmoil. So there's still some need for extraordinary liquidity out there. Fed officials have said they see banking problems easing, suggesting the funding made available to the banks has offered enough liquidity out there and clearing the way for them to raise rates if they want to. But of course, the bigger economic problem, the one I'll be listening to in those bank earnings tomorrow, would be banks losing deposits and reducing their lending. Melissa? All right, Steve. Thanks. Steve Leisman. Reducing deposits and reducing 
uh, excuse me, increasing deposits and reducing lending. Yeah, that, that grinding sound of, right. of, of lending is, is the sound of the economy. Uh, it, it, $257 billion above where we were SVB. I mean, this, they took out all the QT. And, and, and yeah. you can't tell me that markets move isn't associated with that. All right, coming up, streaming surge, a big move higher in Netflix today. We'll dig into what's behind that move and find out if there's even more room to run. That trade is next. Plus, an emerging opportunity, a major shift in EM money flows. And we're looking south of the equator for where the opportunity is. The bet on Brazil when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors binging on shares of Netflix today. The stock jumping more than 4.5% ahead of earnings next week. Analysts at Wells Fargo optimistic on the company's password-sharing crackdown. And Wedbush noting a solid start to the platform's ad-supported tier. What do you think of this move? Outsize move relative to its peers. Well, again, this is something that is incremental to the business that they had. And and I think this is part of the positive. I think people at first reacted, hey, this is telling us that demand is in streaming is going down lower. Um, It was really just Netflix doing something they probably should have done. So um, I like it. I think the ad supported tier is something that is is both a positive and it also will reaffirm this is a company that will be generating free cash flow unlike a lot of their streaming peers. Yeah, I mean, the other piece of the Wedbush note is that they believe that they're going to beat on Q1. So they're going to come in stronger. So how do you trade the stock? Right? I mean, again, we, we all know where it got to. Maybe it didn't deserve to be north of $700. But you know, this is a stock that lost a over 50% at one, but much more than that. 380, if you go back a year ago, this was the second leg down from 380, down to those lows we saw early in 2022. That's where we should find resistance. And quite frankly, that's probably where it's headed, given the momentum of the broader market. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think about just the fundamentals, right? So we had a lot of conversations about that ad um, supported uh, model a year ago, and there was a lot of uncertainty about that. And then we talked about the cannibalization and you talked about like the kind of breaking up the password sharing. I mean, all of that, if you look at what consensus is for gross margins over the next couple of years, they're expected to grow. Right. And so you think about this is like, OK, competition has gotten really hot. We know they're spending a lot on original content and that was something a drag. But when you talk about Tim just mentioned this kind of free cash flow generation, I mean, that drops right down. Yeah. So like it really does drop. So, you know, that was probably when you were buying it in the depths of 2022. And I know you bought it, Karen, you know, that sort of thing. You you had to be optimistic about those sorts of possibilities. And that's how you trade stocks like this. It's like it it looks kind of cheap on the out year at 24 times expected growth, high teens, earnings and sales. Um, But that could change really quickly if there are economic headwinds. And maybe this um, strategy doesn't particularly work. The stock's going to be on its way back to 200. Well, it's not cheap here, but I mean, they have really established their dominance again after it seemed to be faltering a year ago. And with what's happened, like you look at WBD yesterday, you know, with the new Max thing and you think, all right, who's going to be left one year from now? What is the dynamic going to be for streaming? I think Netflix will be at the top for sure. I don't know if the cost of content will have gone down. I think that some will have failed. That's probably good. So I think this sort of macro sets up decently for them. I don't love the multiple here, so but I wouldn't buy more here, but I won't sell it. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A Brazilian boom. Money flowing out of China and into Brazil as investments in LATAM rise. The traders are going south of the equator for this trade next. 
Plus, is there a big box beatdown underway? Shares of Walmart cooling off after its recent run. And the charts could be pointing to even bigger discounts for the stock. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a check on emerging markets. The EEM ETF getting a nice bounce today, but there's one specific part of the world seeing a lot of interest from investors. Seema Modi's got the details. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa. According to Citi's Brazil team, leveraged inflows started in late March and have continued into this week. Rajiv Jain of GQG partners with $90 billion in assets under management, who recently made news with his $2 billion bet on India's Gautam Adani, uh, sharing with CNBC that he's extremely bullish on Brazil and that the market is too pessimistic on President Lula, who came into office this year, adding that if he were to go, quote, hard left, Brazil has strong checks and balances in place to stop that from happening. Now, from a valuation perspective, Jane also argues Brazil is very attractive. Despite the 18 percent run up we've seen in the iShares Brazil ETF from its March low, still trading at a discount, about five times earnings versus the broader MSCI Emerging Market Index at 12 times. However, using the relative strength index, technicians caution that the EWZ is trading in, quote, overbought territory. Now, the rebound in LATAM comes as Chinese tech stocks have suffered big losses this month. The sell-offs are actually accelerating this week after Tencent's largest shareholder, Process, reportedly sold stock. The release of key economic data next week, including GDP, retail sales, that will give investors a key read on the reopening in China and its ongoing stimulus measures. Mel? All right. Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. Is there an emerging market? Special? Oh, that's a great <laughs> story. <laughs> uh, I cannot let that one. That, no, that's, there's a, there is a the story air. there, folks, and I'll let somebody else tell it. It's not going to uh, be me. What do you think of EWZ? Uh, I think it's interesting. I think if you're investing in Brazil, you better hope the currency is your friend. The real actually is, is you know, breaking through five, and that's very important. I, I, I think the dollar is the story. So if you look at the dollar, which has pulled back 5% off of those uh, highs a little bit before SVB, but that the dollar is down 10% or 12% from the October highs, you're investing in emerging markets and Brazil will do very well. Brazil's made a fiscal adjustment. You have a consumer class. Um, I think there's a lot to do there. Karen's call on EWW and Mexico has been extraordinary. Mexico has really outperformed, uh, and I think it's, it's going to continue to. It's the end yeah. of Flambe, correct? It is. Yes, it's awesome. I recall. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really, it's so really far, Flambe. so good. It's fun to it say is. that one. Not, but, you no know, bay. I was trying to come up with something. Yeah. All right. Um, one options <laughs> trader is making a huge bet that Brazil is due for more gains. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so EWZ is always one of the busier ones. It was the ninth busiest uh, ETF option that we saw today. We did see calls trading well above average volume. And one of the big trades was a purchase of 18,000 of the September 34, 39 call spreads. Buyer paid 57 cents a contract. That works out to an outlay of about a million bucks in premium, making a bet that EWZ is going to be up 18 to 34 percent by September expiration, just a little over five months away. If it does get to that upper strike, that's going to be worth about nine million dollars. All right. Thank you, Mike. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow being the full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time Options Action. After the break, could Walmart's rally be cooling off? Shares chilling out after its recent run, and the technicals could be pointing to an even bigger breakdown. The details are next, and the risk on rally was on in a big way today. Can the momentum for momentum stocks last? We'll look for some answers when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
We've got breaking news on Boeing. Let's get straight to Phil LeBeau for the details. Phil. Melissa, take a look at shares of Boeing coming under some pressure. The company announcing just a few minutes ago that it has been notified by one of its primary suppliers, Spirit Aerosystems, that two not there are two fittings for the aft fuselage of 737 MAX. Uh, going back some years, going back to 2019, that may have non-conforming uh, parts in terms of those fittings where the aft fuselage comes together with the vertical fin on the aircraft. This is not a flight of safety issue. So those planes that are already in service that may have these non-conforming parts, they will remain in service. But what it does do is Boeing is going to have to start inspecting those planes, those MAXs that are currently in production. And we're talking about 737s, 738s, 737-8200s, as well as P-8 model airplanes, which are uh, delivered to the military. They will have to do inspections on those that are either in production or are in inventory, have already been built to see if those models have a non-conforming part. At the same time, Boeing has also notified the FAA about the situation and will likely be working with the FAA to come up with a process for making sure that they can do an inspection and make sure that the proper parts are put into these aircraft. The bottom line is this, Melissa, this is likely going to have an impact in some fashion on production and ultimately deliveries of the 737 MAX. I've asked Boeing if they are halting production, if they are halting deliveries. They said at this time they are not doing that. But the significance here, Melissa, is that once again, there is an issue with a non-conforming part, not a Boeing part, but a part from a primary supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, that Boeing has uh, been notified by Spirit and has determined these two parts within the uh, where the fuselage and the vertical fin come together, they are not to the specifications for the manufacturing process. Therefore, they need to be replaced. In some cases, there are some planes that were built and they had conforming parts. So you are looking at shares of Boeing under pressure. Uh, if we can call up Spirit Aerosystems, I'm likely, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing some pressure there as well, um, because what you're looking at here is, once again, production questions about the 737 MAX. And remember, Melissa, they have talked about some t for some time moving production from 31 a month up to 38 or 39 a month, maybe by the middle of this year. Um, that, that, I think, is probably on hold, um, depending on how long it takes for them to do these inspections and determine how many aircraft have these parts, how quickly can they be replaced. And then ultimately, there will likely be some type of a protocol for inspecting those 737 MAXs that are currently in service around the world. Uh, has SPR rectified the situation with this part? I mean, have they fixed it? And so, therefore, if the inspection is done and, and they find this problem, they can then fix it well, right they, away? It, Bo well, Boeing says it will have the parts to fix the issue. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not those parts are coming from Spirit or whether or not it is a different supplier, um, Boeing is, is going to have to work that out. We'll get more right. details, I'm sure, over the next day or two. But, the, you know, for a company that... I don't know where, I mean, it's close to a, a one-year high, 52-week high for, for Boeing because uh, things have been working well in terms of ramping up production or preparing to further ramp up production of the MAX. Uh, now that's going to be called into question. Yep. Uh, Phil, thank you. Keep us posted. Phil LeBeau, we're seeing pressure in both stocks. It seems like two steps forward, one step back for Boeing.
Tim, you're still a shareholder? I'm a shareholder. Uh, that 215 level that Phil's talking about is the level it's been bucking up against. And I, I, I think you stay long, especially after I heard. And look, and I can't, I can't assess two non-conforming pieces of the fuselage, um, and, and, and which is a great word. Is the only reason. I mean, fuselage. Can mm. you spell that? And non if, yes. if I had to. Yeah, I, if you mean. had to. Good answer. So, so, but I, I, I look at Boeing as a function of what I'm hearing from the airlines, and, and I, I think you know Delta's second quarter guide in terms of uh, their RASM and their uh, their revenue outlook was Razzam. fantastic. <laughs> revenue per available seat mile. Yeah. No, it's important. You, I, but you were going to do it. If I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All over that. Uh, Guy, what do you think of Boeing? So here? Boeing reports April 25th, I think, right? So I would submit at these levels, it's not cheap. I mean, it's probably 35 times next year's numbers-ish. But you can back that away and say, listen, they're on a trajectory now where things are getting back to normal. And Tim talks about it's a free cash flow story, which they finally seemingly have figured out once again. But history shows when you get these Boeing tape bombs, market sells first, ask questions later. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm really surprised, though, SPR, I guess it makes sense. I think they probably do 65% or 7% of Boeing's uh, fuselages. That stock is down like 6.5%, which maybe makes sense, but maybe that's the one you should look at in terms of this sell-off. All right, we got, let's take another check in the markets today. Stocks rallying as we get ready for the kickoff of earnings season. The Dow jumping 383 points. The S&P climbing nearly 1.5%. Both indices closing at their highest level since mid-February. And the Nasdaq seeing even bigger gains, up nearly 2%. Large cap tech names like Amazon, Apple, and Google, Alphabet, uh, all jumping in the ARK Innovation ETF up 4%. Um, so what did you make of this move today? Um, it felt squeezy. I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I think the back and forth that we've seen of late in and out of the mega cap tech is really interesting. I mean, to the tune of like Amazon, again, people was my final call last night. I think I said, like, take some profits in there. I, I am worried about that quarter, but to see that stock up three and a half percent today for no reason, I mean, doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And so there was a lot of that sort of price action, but I'll take you back to, we we're just talking about Boeing. Look at this Jets ETF. If they can uh, pull up a one year, you know, at the start of February, and this is really important. If you look at this thing, it looked like it was about ready to break out. It looked like it literally just conf- like completed a bottoming, a head and shoulders bottom process. And think about what happened in February. Think about what happened to the consumer. Think about what happened to the confidence of our banks. And then you think about these two reports that we've had from American and Delta. And I really do think that you have to extrapolate this sort of stuff. Technically, the stock is bro- or the CTF is broken. I think the group, it doesn't sound particularly great. I think as we get further through earnings season, I think we're going to hear more and more like this. And it's going to be less interesting to own stocks at current valuations. That's my take. I know that's surprising, guys. Did this feel squeezy or was this, uh, again, the notion that the Fed is closer to being done and sort of the pivot is pulled forward and we're going to get a rate cut sometime next, you know, this year? Right. Although, I mean, I feel like we're at the end and whether it's 25 basis points or even 50, I don't know, does that matter so much? I was surprised by the strength of this rally. I wonder, is there some narrative where there's a softish landing that seems better than what we thought maybe um, certainly during the SVB upheaval. Um, maybe that, I don't know. I, I agree. Squeeze, or not squeezy, just, I don't know. Uh, knee jerk. But, at the end, but bonds actually. Rates went higher. higher. Yeah. Rates went right. higher. Um, I'll just say, you know, you, you have an index that's been consolidating at the top end of the range, and, and it's, you know, technically it, it breaking out. It's also today went back above that SVB uh, trend line low off of the October CPI. So, you know, there, there are some good technicals going on here, and it's been hanging around this area and had a chance to sell off. So uh, I agree, Fed minutes sounded like the Fed was almost telling you mild recession. That would be great news for stocks, yeah. It, it, yeah. but I don't know how we know that. 
There's a rule here. You can't bring back the guests, and Danny Moses left, so I certainly <laughs> can't bring him back. But he talked about stagflation two years ago. So this is – I look at CPI as an inflation gauge, still 5%, and it's still been persistent as can be. PPI was a disaster. Now, people will say that's a great thing, but that to me is more of an economic gauge. And when you couple that with ISM, things are going really poorly on the economic front. So you have an economy that's – I don't want to say cratering, but clearly slowing down – and you have this persistent inflation in the form of CPI. Yet for some reason, the market is championing all this because they think magically the Fed in the back half of this year with a three and a half percent unemployment rate is to come to the rescue. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But with that said, I mean, right now, the market's on autopilot cruise control. Coming up, buy low, sell AI. <laughs> Could ChatGPT make, be making your portfolio picks? The man behind a new research report that takes the bot to Wall Street. Next, uh, don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Walmart jumping almost 9% in the past month. But the question is, has the stock come too far? The chart master, Carter Braxtonworth, says yes. He is out with a sell call on the retailer today, saying it is trading at a difficult level. Walmart far outpacing major averages since last June, surging 25% since the market's June 16th low. That is handily beating the Nasdaq 100, uh, the S&P, as well as the consumer staple index, its peers. What do you think of Walmart? I'm long Walmart, yeah. and I have been selling upside calls around 160. And I've been called away on some a little bit lower. So I think multiple, I love the company, and I love the inventory recovery, and I think they've, they've made major adjustments, and I think the trade down to Walmart will continue. But it's a valuation story here. Yeah. Agree. Same, um, and not as big as I used to be. Uh, for, for the reasons Jim said also, it's, I think the P.E. is high-ish, but it's actually not quite as high as it seems because they've been spending, spending, spending. And I think they could curtail that if they want. But uh, it's, it's sort of no man's land to me. 22 times for Walmart's not crazy, but it's expensive in this environment. It's had a big run. That, and I never use this term because okay. it makes But here me you go. But nuts. here you go. So, but that Come on. barbell approach uh, oh, of Walmart on one side and it into it on Louis Vuitton oh, Louis on Vuitton. the other side, which I didn't even know that the MH was Moe. Yes. Tennessee. No, it's working. You yes. know. But when Dubs puts out a note like this into earnings, I believe, in the 18th of May, which is, what, a month or so away, I think you got to take notice. Um, since mid-March, look at what Staples have done. Look at what some of these more defensive retailers have done. And Tim makes a great point. I mean, like what they've done in inventory, like the bomb that they dropped last spring on that front. Like they've spent quarters now getting it right. But I'll, I'll just say this is like if you were buying those because you wanted to be defensive a month ago in the throes of what you thought was a financial crisis, I think you probably at this point want to take some profits in that sort of thing. They were trading at five-month lows. That's where Walmart was. That's where the XLP was. So 10% on names like these for no really good fundamental reason reason, really like positioning, um, to me, that sounds like more of a great trade than a good entry point for an investment, in my opinion. Is, is Walmart a defense, defensive, defensive stock? Yes, I think yes. so. I think it's defensive because also when you consider uh, that food and grocery is, is half of their sales and, and that they continue to be a place that, that can control their supply chain and push back on inflation. I mean, they're, they're as nimble as anybody can be. They're as powerful as anyone can be in retail and they're defensive. Without question, but it, tra it trades at a seven-term premium to target, Karen's target. Right. And at some point, maybe that's not appropriate. Yeah, and I think it's been that defensive play has sort of worked and... 
Yeah. It's Wait, but did you see Carter's true. lines? I mean, like, literally, to a T. They drew themselves, and, and the they penny. were to the penny. And so when he's got an arrow pointing down, when it's a red arrow, and you see the uptrend that it might go to, like, that looks like about 10%. That chart is no pair of twos. I mean, that's, no. that, that is... You know what? People are like, we're here. There's like a bird flying around it's in here. It's a fly. Carter? It's a giant fly. Oh, it's a Carter. <laughs> oh, it's like a bat. <laughs> I mean, what's going it's on? Like, it's like half inch. Yeah, it's very. It's I'm going to I'm going to SWAT that, and I don't want to hear any stories from people saying I'm killing it. <laughs> SWAT animals. was a great show. It was a great show. What about the fly? Yeah. Was anyway, that anyway, coming up. Yeah. AI heads to Wall Street. Could a bot be your new financial advisor? Just how well can ChatGPT predict the market's next move? The details and fast money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is speaking exclusively with the executive chairman of home builder Lennar. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Well, ChatGPT has taken the world by storm this year. Homework, cover letters, TV scripts. Just joking. <laughs> so I guess it was only a matter of time before it turned its sights to stock picking. A new research paper from the University of Florida found that the AI platform had better than random results when looking for investment ideas. So we decided to put the bot to the test ourselves. We asked ChatGPT which stocks could outperform the S&P 500 in the second half of 2023. The response did have some caveats. ChatGPT said it cannot provide specific investment advice and suggested oh, looking course. at a company's fundamentals as competitors, um, as well as analyst recommendations before investing. So it gave a disc- basically a, just a disc- disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Exactly. But ultimately, okay, the AI model did come up with a few potential names for us: Apple, Microsoft, Johnson Johnson, and Alphabet. Traders are probably safe for now. <laughs> Let's bring in the co-author behind the paper, Alejandro Lopez Lira. He is an assistant finance professor at the University of Florida. Professor, great to have you with us. Um, what did you find? Because what is just important to understand about the current ChatGPT is that its data set is old, so it doesn't have any current information, and everything is based on looking back as opposed to predicting. Correct. Uh, so. We actually use that to our advantage because if you use it with old data, you may actually not predicting the future, just you know remembering what happened with some stocks. So what we do is we put it on a headline and ask ChatGPT, is this headline good or bad for, or bad for the company? And importantly, we ask ChatGPT to pretend to be a financial advisor so that their usual disclaimer does not apply. Ah, okay. So was it was it accurate in determining because headlines are tricky, particularly in financial news, because you know you could say see something declined and, and maybe on the surface that may seem bad, but compared to estimates, it was actually better than expected. There are a lot of nuances. Yes, correct. So it was a little bit surprising to see that it predicted very well, and it's actually able to capture some nuances. So for example, one headline was about that uh, Google uh, was resilient in this bad macro environment, and ChatGPT answer was like, well. This seems good for the stock price because, you know, even though it's a bad macro environment, the fact that Google is showing resilience may point towards like better stock price. Alejandro, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Let me ask you, what exactly was the mission? What did you ask it to do? So the the exact question that we ask is, pretend you're a financial advisor. Uh, Here's a headline. Is this headline going to be good or bad for the company in the short term? But for the picking stock parts. Oh, it's, it's exactly. Oh, so we just modify the question a little bit to ask for the stock pricing. And then, you know, once you have enough headlines, 
you basically just invest in the companies with good headlines and not invest in the companies with bad headlines. So the, yeah. the stock picking exercise is kind of after, it's conditional on a good headline. Uh, clearly, you know, the more investors use this, there's no edge, right? I mean, if everybody's using ChatGPT and asking similar questions, Alejandro, everybody's getting the same uh, output. So what is your thinking in terms of how this could actually be applied down the road by Wall Street, that they would have better data sets, that they would sort of concentrate on, on the data that it feeds that AI model? Correct. On one hand, it's going to decrease the amount of work that you need to in order to understand financial uh, statements or news headlines because analyst jobs just got so much easier, right? Like I can mostly plug into a news, ask for a summary, and most of the time it's going to be roughly accurate and I can check the rest of the time. So uh, a lot of it is going to come in increased productivity for these analysts and definitely the financial industry is going to be looking for the new edge. How can they invest? How can they make it better? But I absolutely agree that a month from now, uh, ChatGPT is not going to be useful anymore to predict returns. So should anybody on Wall Street be afraid for their jobs based on what you've seen? Or on fast money. <laughs> or, or here on this show. <laughs> I, I, think, I think on fast money you're safe. Uh, I do think at first there will be like the job will just become easier, right? Like the job will just become easier because you have so much more tools. I myself have felt the increase in productivity. And afterwards, it's always a good idea to make yourself uh, necessary for the company. <laughs> All right, Alejandro, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating paper, Alejandro Lira Lopez. You said that we're safe. We're all safe here. You feeling safe, guys? No, for different <laughs> reasons. There's, there's other reasons why we should not be you on, safe. You're on the squawk box this squawk morning. Box. You, had a, you were talking about, Joe Kerner was talking, he's terrified. Somebody like me, this is terrifying. You know, the computer becomes self-aware, the whole thing. Singularity. Sing singularity, exactly. Weird. So, of course, I'm terrified by this. The good news is, though, I'm probably on the back nine of things, so it doesn't really matter all that much. <laughs> but in terms of, I mean, there well, are efficiencies to be wrought sure. for this. We've with... been talking about the algos, I feel like, yeah. for a decade, and it's really not too different. I don't think right. there's going to be some chat functionality that changes um, the deal for all intents and purposes. But we talk on this show, we talk about fundamentals, we talk about textables, we talk about sentiment, we talk about news. Like, the list goes on and on and on. That's what these, that's what machine learning is good at interpreting in a very quick fashion. And we have plenty of people who've been committing tons of resources, lots of big hedge funds, mm -hmm. to doing this for 30 years, actually. You know what I mean? So I think the pace of the acceleration is the thing that we all should be worried about, even you, Tim. Thank you. Um, and by the way, go Gators. Let's, let's give Alejandro uh, his just due. I, I think it's kind of re reverse engineering and looking at how we got somewhere on a stock. And that, uh, of course, we all know in the stock market, though, knowing the history does not give you the ability to predict the future. Sure. Speaking of disclaimers, that, of course, would have also been part of that lead in. Um, yeah, so it's, it's fascinating stuff, though. It is. I'm surprised it didn't come up with NVIDIA. For real. Yeah. Right? Given that it's sort of the raw material of creating this AI. Right. Good point there. All right. Um, coming up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Tim. I love the golden arches and have been long McDonald's. I think the multiple's a little expensive here. I, I don't want to sell it outright, but I'm selling upside calls around 200. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, I like 200, excuse me. Sure. Um, I, I like Carter's technical call on Walmart. I'd be a seller here. Huh. Karen. Well, you know, I always say if you went home long, it's like buying it at the close. I am long JP Morgan. So that's my final trade. All right. Earnings tomorrow. Every yeah. once in a while, there's a game at the Madison Square, which is oh, meaningless. Yes. 
superfluous. Tonight is one of those games. World's most famous. So arena. if you go to the Ranger game tonight to see the Leafs of Toronto, the Maple Leafs. You love hockey, though, guy. I mean, why are you doing this? I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be a. As I said earlier, this is going to be a little. Ice capades meets NHL hockey. Thanks for raining on, you know. Meaningless you guys game. are going. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for yeah. raining on the parade there, Thank pal. You're Thanks, there. guys. <laughs> Say hi to these Tim guys. Tim is selling upside calls. Yeah. I Rangers. think you could stay with Cafe Mac. Go uh, Rangers. All right. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 